Hey, it's Alan Carter. Here's what's on the podcast today. Aaron O'Toole's first press conference as conservative leader. Bus drivers have major concerns about back to school. Jerry Falwell Jr. likes to watch. And parents in affluent neighborhoods are fundraising for PPE in their schools. All that coming up. Let's get to it. Uh, so TikTok towards uh, September and a uh, back to school and coming up at one o'clock today. Ooh, I'm excited. I don't know, but you're excited. Are you excited because Stephen Lecce is going to be there? He's going to de-risk the circumstance. He's going to de-risk our circumstance. To de-risk the circumstance. Thank you, Stephen Lecce. There is no corporate speak that you do not love. And here's my prediction of what's going to happen today. At the press conference, the one o'clock press conference with uh, Doug Ford and uh, Stephen Lecce, the Minister of Education. Uh, Stephen Lecce is going to say a whole bunch of things, uh, and the school boards are going to say, What? And parents are going to say, Wait a minute, what? Pardon? And we're going to be no closer to any clarity. You know why? Because it's a, a living shock. it's a living document. Thank you, Doug Ford. Thank you. You know what my favorite story is today? I. As I scan the universe of news, as I do for you, my listeners, each and every day, I scan the entire universe of news, and I look around, and I pick out only the finest morsels. I just, the choicest cuts of news meat to serve up to you. And today, my favorite story, it's not COVID. Uh, It's not Donald Trump, although I could talk about Trump and the... Uh, Republican National Con- Con- Convention. It's not Justin Trudeau. No. The finest story available to us today comes to us from Jerry. I like to watch Falwell Jr. I like to watch. I like to watch. Have you dug in to this story? Is there anything more delicious than an evangelical's fall from grace? I like to watch. I like to watch. That is Peter Sellers right there, that clip from Being There, one of my favorite all-time movies. I like to watch. I like to watch. I like to watch when somebody who, you know, makes a name for themselves, uh, telling the rest of us what we should and should not do, wagging their moralistic fingers at us trying to limit our rights. And then it turns out, guess what? Their lives are just as sordid and weird as the rest of us. Hypocrisy. I like to watch hypocrisy being taken down. So that is coming up later on in the program. I can explain that to you. If you don't know who Jerry Falwell is, uh, as as a guy, as a young man, I was raised in a very Christian uh, home, uh, a very religious upbringing. So Jerry Falwell, the senior, very familiar to me. This is Jerry Falwell Jr. I'll explain why this is important and why it's important for evangelicals, uh, not only in the United States and but in Canada. But we're going to get to that. But you know what else? I like to watch. I like to watch political news conferences. I like to watch. I like to watch those. I do. And so today, we got to hear from Aaron O'Toole. This is the first time that Mr. O'Toole has taken questions. 
now that he is the leader of the Conservative Party of Canada. You may have wondered, wait, where was he yesterday? Remember, this thing happened early in the hours of Monday. It was supposed to happen on Sunday night where he was supposed to be crowned. And then he was just MIA all day yesterday. Didn't do a press conference, didn't do anything. You can see that his comms team looked at that and figured, you know what? Nobody, and I mean nobody, saw his acceptance speech live early in the morning on Monday. So might as well just ride that out and let that fill up the space on Monday. Otherwise, if he did it, he did any kind of press conference yesterday, it would just trump whatever he, he had said, and it would just... I mean, nobody would ever have seen any of those clips. And so they got some play last night. So that's why we had Aaron O'Toole for the first time uh, with a press conference today. He didn't take a lot of questions. It was pretty brief, to tell you the truth. But I'm going to take you through some of the highlights because I think it's important here, especially when you keep in mind what Aaron O'Toole is facing in just a few short weeks in this country, which is a speech from the throne. Of course, the liberals have prorogued parliament. So you get a speech from the throne, and then uh, out of that, that, of course, is a confidence vote. The speech is itself a confidence matter. So the government, because it's a minority, can be brought down right on the speech because of the speech. So a lot of people framing this as, well, this is, you know, the hot potato coming from Justin Trudeau. Like, here you go, Aaron. Here, enjoy this. Uh, right into your lap here, sir. I like to watch. Uh, right over there. And so here's how Aaron O'Toole is framing all of this as, of course, the questions will continue to come at him about what will the conservatives do? Will they help participate in forcing a fall general election? Justin Trudeau would rather play politics than do his job. Even now, with our country still in a crisis, he may be trying to trigger an early election. Because of that, I may soon be asking Canadians for the chance to serve as Prime Minister so we can get this country back on track. Mr. O'Toole giving himself a little bit of wiggle room, as you can hear him there in his press conference this morning, his first press conference as leader of the Conservative Party saying that, you know, obviously hedging that I'll I'll continue to work because, I mean, you read the tea leaves. I mean, I don't think there's many Canadians out there like, yeah, let's get to the election right now. That's probably, if you end up being the person holding the hot potato at the end of the day where, you know, the country looks at you, well, we're going to an election because of you, you don't want that. So obviously there is Mr. O'Toole giving himself some wiggle room saying, yeah, okay, we're ready if need be. But we are not necessarily going to bring down the government. Here's something else I found really interesting. This is, this is so key to any conservative leader, uh, especially one from Ontario. you got to shore up that base. Mr. O'Toole, of course, positioned himself as the Western candidate. And here he is right out of the gate talking about one of his major issues, and that is Western alienation. Because Western alienation is so significant a threat to Canadian unity, I don't believe we have even one day to spare. We need to get to work. We need to get to work. Exactly what that kind of work is, Mr. O'Toole, a little vague on that, talking about trying to get our energy to market and all of those sort of things. And, you know, those are some pretty hefty issues, not things that are going to be solved overnight. And here you sense, pardon me, you sense a, a bit of an in here 
uh, for those that were, are particularly concerned about the environment, because how is Mr. O'Toole going to be able to walk that line that Mr. Shear was unable to, which is supporting both the petro sector and the resource sector, and at the same time appealing to a wide swath of Canadians who want to see real action on the environment. Now, it is no secret what the conservative Achilles heel is, and it's not the environment. Not really. That's a problem area for the conservatives, but it's not where they lose again and again. And certainly they have lost to Justin Trudeau in the last election because of this, and that is namely the social conservative issue. Here is Aaron O'Toole answering what will be just the first in a constant flow of questions about his progressive bona fides. The Liberals will be trying to uh, work their their little uh, spin cycle, and they're already starting. I have a track record of always voting in favor of rights, whether it's the rights of women uh, with respect to choice, whether it's the LGBT community. In my first months as an MP, I was the first Conservative of 18 to support an LGBT bill. I will always stand and defend the rights of Canadians. That is Aaron O'Toole speaking this morning, and perhaps speaking with more conviction than his predecessor ever managed to in terms of dealing head-on with that question. I think that was a surprise to so many people during the last election that Andrew Scheer, like, how are you not ready for these questions about abortion? How are you not ready for these questions about same-sex marriage? How do you not have better response for these things? And here is Aaron O'Toole quickly, already, within 48 hours, really moving himself as fast as he can go away from those social conservatives. He's asked a number of times about, have you, you know, have you already moved to the mushy middle? Are you now you're suddenly a red Tory after winning the, the campaign? You know, Patrick Brown style. Remember when Patrick Brown in Ontario wins the leadership of the progressive conservative party by appealing to the, uh, you know, no sex ed or, you know, the repeal the sex ed curriculum thing. And then the second he gets in there, he's like, I don't even know who you are. I've never talked to you before. Totally ghosted them ghosts. Well, O'Toole was asked about this and the way he's walking this line is that he's saying, look, I've, I've never lied about my voting record. I'm a, you know, I'm a centrist, hundred percent centrist, but I'm going to, wi- I'm going to listen. I'm going to listen to everybody. I'm not going to do anything about it, but I'm going to listen. Talking about Andrew Shear real quickly. Can we just mention Andrew Shear? Uh, did you, did you see any of his speech on Sunday night? Of course you didn't because you don't care. Why would you? You just, but nevertheless, Andrew Shear, on his way out the door, says this ridiculous thing about Canadians should go seek out new sources of information. Forget about MSM, mainstream media, mainstream media, and instead, you know, go to the Post Millennial or True North or some of these other sites that are they're partisan sites. These are not news organizations. And this is so dangerous. It's dangerous to the left. It's dangerous to the right. It's dangerous to society to say to Canadians, to say to people, you know what, if you don't like the facts, go find facts that you do like. And those can be your facts. That's not a good idea. Hey, don't let the door hit you on the way out, Andrew Shear. Aaron O'Toole, how are you going to be different than the last guy? I have a lot of respect for Andrew, and I thanked him for his service. He's an important member of the team. I have a track record of serving Canada and getting things done. 
That's why I'm not famous. I'm not well known. I get things done. I don't drop the ball. And I've always fought for Canadians since I left high school and joined the military as a volunteer, as a parent, as an MP, a backbencher who worked my way to the front. I have no famous name. I just fight for Canadians. That is Aaron O'Toole. You know what I like to do? I like to watch political news conferences. I like to watch. I like to watch. As time ticks away closer to the reopening schools, at least the scheduled reopening of schools, and it depends where you live in the province, whether your kids will be going back on the 8th or will they be going back the following week, will be a staggered restart. Who knows? It all seems to be up in the air, and when asked about it repeatedly, the Minister of Education wants us to... To de-risk the circumstance. Just de-risk our circumstance which is a fine saying, I suppose. It doesn't really mean anything. He also continues to say that it's all a living document, which is a fancy way of saying, stay tuned, we don't know. I, I Just, think it's a good plan. It's a good plan, I think. Let's give it a shot. I don't know. What do you think? Give it a shot? Let's give it a shot. Well, there are concerns in all portions of the education sector, not only from uh, teachers and parents as well. And today we heard from school bus drivers who held a press conference today. Uh, this press conference was uh, put on by the union Unifor and by way of full disclosure, as part of my job as news anchor here at Global News, I am a member of Unifor. Global News is a uh, unionized uh, workplace. So I just leave that there by way of, of full disclosure. And now one of the bus drivers uh, at the press conference this morning was Michelle Lavallee, who is a bus driver in Durham region and joins me on the line. Welcome, Michelle. Hi. Thanks for having me. Where do you, uh, wh where do you drive the bus? Um, I drive in Durham region. My branch is out of Bowmanville. How many kids in the pre-COVID time would you be taking to school on a, on a regular basis? Uh, roughly 46. I had um, 40, about 45 in the morning and um, 48 in the afternoon, give or take. And what's your understanding what it might be like come this September in terms of the number of kids on your bus? Well, we, we really don't know. I know... Um, uh, bus driver. She's not out of my branch, but she's already received her, her route sheet for September, and she has 74 children on her bus. What is the number one thing that you want to hear from the Minister of Education when he speaks today? I want to hear that um, he is going to treat school buses like he would any other indoor space, um, that he is going to have us practice social distancing on our buses. I, it, it really makes no sense to me that schools are going to um, be in cohorts at the bus stops. Parents and children are asked to social distance yet they're going to board the bus and be sh shoulder to shoulder um, without all wearing PPE as well. Very concerning. Uh, are you concerned for your exposure to the virus? I, I certainly am exposed uh, for my um, health, um, what I could possibly bring home for the other children on the bus. Um, it could just be a very bad domino effect. 
So, but if you were to wear PPE yourself, perhaps a face shield, uh, something like that, would that, you know, if, if, if the province were to put those sort of protocols in place in time, would that make you feel better? Um, well, I, I definitely wouldn't drive a bus without any PPE. If the first day of school comes and I have no PPE, which our operators currently do not have right now, I definitely won't be driving the bus. Um, having PPE is going to make me feel better if everybody on the bus, grade three and under as well, are wearing PPE. And if we limit the amount of kids that are going to be on the bus. I, I heard that raised a number of times at that press conference held by Unifor this morning about uh, extending the need for PPE to the younger grades, which is currently not in place in Ontario. But sick kids themselves in their report said that it wasn't, didn't really make sense for kids that age, those younger ages, to be trying to be wearing masks. They're not going to do it properly. It, it might have an emotional problem for them. You know, that there are real reasons why younger kids shouldn't wear masks. Well, I personally think that we need to give kids um, a little more credit. Um, kids learn. They, they don't go into their classroom and go and touch everything on their teacher's desk because they know they're not allowed to. Um, kids aren't on the bus for very long. I think it's something that could that could be be learned. We, we may have to, you know, do a lot of reminders between teachers and school bus drivers and the parents, but I don't think it's something that can't be done. Michelle Lavallee is a bus driver in Durham Region. Thank you so much for being on the program. Thank you very much. Have a good day. And a reminder that Stephen Lecce will de-risk our circumstance coming up at 1 o'clock today. I want to turn quickly, if I can, to what's happening in Wisconsin. Uh, Reports this morning from the father of Jacob Blake, a black man who was shot apparently in the back by police in Wisconsin now saying that his son has been left paralyzed from the waist down. There's been no confirmation of that from hospital officials. Blake's father telling the Chicago Sun-Times that he was told that his son was shot eight times during the Sunday evening confrontation with police, which was captured on cell phone video. It has led now to two nights of unrest in the city that is along Lake Michigan between Milwaukee and Chicago. And last night... After the completion of the L.A. Lakers game, LeBron James once again showed how he has become a powerful spokesperson. Here is a portion of a statement from LeBron James last night about the shooting of Jacob Blake. It's just, uh, quite frankly, it's just fucked up in our community. And I know people get tired of hearing me say it, but we are scared as black people in America. Black men, black women, black kids, we are we are terrified. Because you don't know. You have no idea. You have no idea how that cop that day left the house. You don't know if he woke up on the good side of the bed. You don't know if he woke up on the, on the wrong side of the bed. You don't know if he had an argument at home with a significant other. You know if one of his kids said something crazy to him and he left the house steaming. Maybe he just left the house in that today is going to be the end for one of these black people. That's what it feels like. That's what it feels like. Um, it just, it hurts. It hurts. And it's this through the grace of God that he's still living. Like seven shots, close range. 
and he's still alive, that's through the grace of God right there. And um, my prayers goes out to that family and that community. But I got nothing nice to say about those cops at all. At all. That is LeBron James last night talking about the shooting of Jacob Blake and reports now that Mr. Blake, who was shot apparently by police in the back, is paralyzed from the waist down. There is nothing more fantastic than seeing someone who is holier than thou wagging their finger all about how you should be living your life, and then you find out, oh, maybe not so pure. I like to watch. I like to watch evangelicals set themselves on fire. Figuratively, of course. No rapture. No rapture in store for Jerry Falwell Jr. Now, I am going to take you through this story if you haven't heard it, if you don't know what it's all about, because it is important. It's important for the American political system because of the kind of heft, the weight that Jerry Falwell Jr. has within the Christian right movement in the United States. Now, just a little bit of background. Who is Jerry Falwell Jr.? He is the son of famous televangelist Jerry Falwell, senior who died in 2007. And Mr. Falwell built a substantial following and then established a university in the United States, uh, which has a very, very strict code that all students must sign on to, things that they cannot do. And it's very, very conservative and very religious. So there's your background. Jerry Falwell Jr., in the run-up to the 2016 presidential election, endorsed Donald Trump. And that brought a lot of the evangelical vote to Donald Trump. So he has got some sway within the American political system. Shall we get to the facts? Let's just get you to some of the facts about what has just happened. Here is a report from ABC News. Jerry Falwell Jr. confirmed his resignation to ABC News late Monday night. He's accused of witnessing his wife have an affair with a pool boy turned business partner for years. In an interview with Reuters, Giancarlo Granda said, quote, Jerry enjoyed watching from the corner of the room. He says he met the couple in 2012 as a 20-year-old in Miami. Falwell has accused Granda of blackmail, which Granda denies. Derek Dennis, ABC News. I like to watch. I like to watch. That's Peter Sellers, that clip, by the way, from being there. Great movie. Check that out. Uh, just an update on that story. You heard from ABC News that uh, Falwell had submitted his resignation from the university. But then late last night, Falwell said, I didn't resign. And the university says that he's rescinded his resignation, which I don't know how you do that. But all of this, here's the extra little bit of weirdness in all of this. I mean, I, nobody gives a crap what you're doing between consensual adults. I mean, we might snicker, sure. But, you know, whatever, whatever you're into is your thing. That's fine. That's fine. Unless you happen to be somebody telling the rest of the world all the time what isn't and isn't. You know, isn't fine. You're like, oh, you can't do that. By the the, the stuff that that Mr. Falwell here, Mr. Falwell is accused of doing. I like to watch. That would get any of his students from his university just tossed right out. You're out. You're done. 
Not only that, here's an extra little bit in this story, is that prior to all of this coming out, now Reuters was apparently just about to release this yesterday. Now, I talked about it on the radio program yesterday. I didn't have the whole story because it had not all come out. So Reuters was about to release this story about Giancarlo Granda. This is the quote-unquote pool boy. When suddenly, out of nowhere, Jerry Falwell releases a statement to the, I think it's the Washington Inquiry, just out of nowhere, saying, explaining that he'd been under duress lately because his wife had had an inappropriate uh, relationship with Mr. Granda, uh, that Jerry had had nothing to do with it, and that Mr. Granda was now trying to blackmail him. So and then subsequent to that, the whole Reuters story comes out, and there's you know there's tape, telephone calls, there's all this evidence. The ground is like, no, no, this was a consensual, this was a three-way thing with Mister Mister Falwell over there in the corner. I like to watch. He's just over there watching. So Mister Falwell Jr. here, beyond wagging his finger at the rest of us throws his wife right under the bus give your head a shake what are you doing and as i you know really dug into the story yesterday i thought to myself you know what maybe we could turn this whole thing into a new urban dictionary term you know like I'm really into a, I'm really into fall welling. Maybe that would be a thing. So that's what I'm thinking. Like, well, maybe that's, you know, that would be a, a term for, you know, being a guy that likes to sit in the corner. I like to watch. And doing that. Um, so I go on Urban Dictionary. You know, I said too, because I'm a researcher. You know, I'm looking for news. And I type in fall well. And lo and behold, there's already a definition. And I it's, like to watch. It is, I'm not even going to, I can't even, I can't even color the outsides of it. I, it's, I just say there's some weird stuff out there. That's what I'll say. But there is no more delicious story than seeing how the righteous and the mighty and the holy have fallen. Good on you, Jerry. I like to watch you fall from grace. I like to watch. I like to watch. What are you going to do, parents? Are you in or are you out? The question continues to get bounced around. You know, I was asking this a couple of weeks ago before I went on vacation back and forth, and I kind of hope by about this point in time I'd have a better idea. I, I mean, I have an idea. My kids who are two of them in the TDSB system, one going into or one in high school and going into grade 10, the other going into grade seven, the high school thing, I I like to think that seems to be worked out, but it seems like that's moving around too. And plus on elementary, we have all this talk about uh, class sizes. And then I want to play this for you real quick. I it is this I want is this a good use of your taxpayer money? This is an ad from the government of Ontario. Have a role to play in safely reopening Ontario's schools. 
That's why the Ontario government asked doctors, health officials, school boards, and educators to help build a comprehensive plan to keep our kids safe. Working together, our plan includes physical distancing, putting more nurses in schools, masking, enhanced cleaning and hand sanitization, and other measures to ensure the well-being right, we, we, of students and school We made the audio extra crappy on this more. because we don't want to give them a free ad. Because we're, you know, we're a privately run radio station. you got to pay for that thing. So we make your, if we're going to play your ad for free, we're going to make it extra crappy. That's how we do. But there's a lot of back and forth right now about whether or not that's appropriate or not. To discuss that and other issues, I am pleased to welcome to the program Harvey Bischoff, who is president of the Ontario Secondary School Teachers Federation. Harvey, much ado about nothing on that ad. Is it, does that raise your hackles? Well, it, you know, it does in this way. They t- they claim that they are listening to the medical experts, and when they got the report from sick kids, it explicitly said that, in their words, the priority strategy for keeping kids safe in schools was to reduce the number of students in classes, and they ignored that advice. So, yeah, it raises my hackles. In terms of spending money, though, I mean, all governments do that. Andrea Horvath was saying, well, they shouldn't be spending money on that. They should be putting the money in schools. But, you know, when it was the liberals, they did exactly the same thing. Look, I, I think it's it's unfortunate that governments spend money in that fashion in, in ways to uh, to promote their party rather than the you know the good of the citizenry. Um, but that said, you know the way to create uh, um, some confidence amongst parents and students and educators is not by putting out radio ads; it's by following the medical professionals' advice, and that's what they failed to do. In terms of restart, right now we have this patchwork across the province. As I mentioned, my daughter going into grade 10, I believe at the 15th, is that when they're supposed to go back? Uh, But if you're in a different part of the province, it's at a different time. And then I'm being told, well, to hold on, we don't know yet. I mean, how can there be any confidence amongst parents when we don't know something as simple as when school's starting? Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, I don't I don't object to the idea that there be some differences regionally because different regions have different, uh, you know, loads of the virus in the community and so forth. So that may make some sense. But what's happened here is it's happening in such a scattershot approach because the ministry has refused to provide the leadership and the guidance that they are supposed to provide. They have abdicated their responsibility to school boards. And so you're getting this this patchwork all across Ontario. And that's part of, you know, um, uncertainty is one of the things that most leads to anxiety. And that anxiety is, is just growing exponentially right now. I had the head of the Halton District School Board on this program yesterday. Uh, As you know, the school board sent a letter to the ministry saying uh, a number of things, but one of them was this whole 50%, you know, face-to-face class time. What's your understanding about the the real amount of hours high school students in this province will be in face-to-face as opposed to synchronous or asynchronous learning? Well, there's no uniform understanding, as usual, in, in this area as with everything else. So it, it seems to be very mixed. They're targeting 50%, and, and you know, great from a, from a learning perspective, but you can't set targets like that unless you're prepared to provide the resources that will allow schools to do that safely. And that's what they're refusing uh, to do. It's a, it's a uh, you know, it's a penny-wise, pound-foolish approach where they are risking uh, further outbreaks and risking students' education because they're not adequately resourcing um, the things that they, they say they want to see happen, like 50% face-to-face learning. Speaking with Harvey Bischoff, who is head of OSSTF, the Globe and Mail had a front page story today about parents groups right across the country now 
uh, raising money for different things where in past, you know, schools, high schools especially in wealthier portions of the city or, or the province might fundraise for extracurriculars or school trips. Now they're doing it for PPE. Now, what does that mean for the education system, the public education system? This is, I mean, I'm not surprised that parents are responding that way, but it, it's, a, again, a shocking abdication of responsibility by the ministry. We know that the pandemic has already exacerbated the inequities between different groups within our society. We know that there are groups that are that are harder hit. Um, we know that, you know, if, uh, lower on the socioeconomic spectrum, uh, racialized uh, folks in the province are harder hit. And to to then turn to you know the individual capacity of of parents to try to to rectify that, it's it's just it's so wrong. Um, this is this is the role of government to step in and try to level the playing field, so that those kids who may already be facing marginalization are supported in the you know the best possible ways, and they've refused to do that. Coming up at 1 o'clock, the Minister of Education, Stephen Lecce, will join Doug Ford again. He was unscheduled yesterday. His uh, participation in the press conference is scheduled today. Uh, I can pretty much tell you, I think, what we're going to hear. We're going to hear de-risk the circumstance. We're going to hear living document. We're going to hear it's the best plan. Um, I, what, what's the upshot of all of those things? I mean... You know, what Doug Ford would say is, hey, we're getting along with everybody else. How come the teachers' unions won't get along with us? You know, nobody cares if they claim it's the best plan. And to claim that it's only teachers' unions that are opposing this plan is just, it's blatantly false. I mean, we've seen lots of parents uh, opposing this. We've seen the Ontario Principals Council, hardly a group of, you know, radicals um, who have provided uh, significant criticism of, of this plan. Um, so, so uh you know what we we met yesterday with the Ministry of Labor, and what became evident is they have no standards that they're following when it comes to doing inspections in order to keep schools safe. Um, it's it's a you know it it, it completely hit and miss approach. Uh, we need a set of published standards so that people understand what is meant as the baseline for safety and can take action if that baseline hasn't been met. In the absence of those standards, nobody you know we're just we're we're shooting in the dark. You mentioned you meant with the Ministry of Labor, your union is uh, making an application that it is an unsafe workplace, the schools will be? We, uh, if we don't get uh, some satisfactory response from the ministry, then we will do that, absolutely. We'll go to the Labor Board and we'll say that they've failed in their responsibility. The Ministry of Education has failed in its responsibility to keep workers safe um, and failed to take... Uh, to, to pursue the precautionary principle, which is, which, you know, which says when the science is uncertain, you take every uh, every reasonable measure under the circumstances to ensure the health and safety of workers, and that's something that they just have not done. That that could possibly, I mean, it's further down the road, but that could result in school being canceled again. I guess the question is, Harvey. Should school be pushed back even further than it is in some areas, like the Toronto District School Board? Until you can ensure that the risk um, has been appropriately minimized in face-to-face classrooms, then then I would say that um, it is appropriate to deliver education uh, online. It's it's certainly a second best. Um, had this had the ministry listened to us back by the end of March when we were pleading with them to work with us on a reopening plan and they ignored our pleas, you know, we could be a lot further ahead. 
they've chosen to go down this path. Um, it's the result of their actions that, uh, you know, makes me think that, that we are not sufficiently, um, we're, we're not at a risk level that's appropriate in a lot of places, at least at this time. And under those circumstances, if you reopen, if that leads to community spread, if that leads to, you know, another shutdown of businesses, um, then the, uh, you know, the cost of, of, uh, of, you know, maintaining that risk will, will go up uh, enormously uh, and much more than would have been required in terms of investment to keep schools safe in the first place. Well, we'll have to wait and see and listen to what uh, the Premier and the Minister of Education have to say. Always great to talk to you, Harvey. Harvey Bischoff, head of the OSSTF. Thanks, Alan. So as I mentioned in a couple of minutes, the Premier will be speaking and the Minister of Education will de-risk our circumstance once again. To de-risk the circumstance. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, And one of the questions obviously going to be put to the Premier and to the Minister are those uh, concerns that were raised today by school bus drivers. And we spoke with a school bus driver earlier on the program and talked about, you know, the number of kids that cram into her school bus. You know, pre-pandemic, it was 45, sometimes 48 on the way home. You know, it's so all jammed onto that bus, if that is the same kind of numbers that we're looking at going back to school in September. Is that a good idea on a bus? And so there'll be questions to the minister about that. And, you know, I, listen, I, as much fun as I make of this whole de-risk the circumstance living document malarkey that comes from the government, I, I do, I do give them some leeway on the fact that things are changing and we must absolutely remain as parents flexible. And so when you're like, I don't even know when school is going back. I think that unfortunately that's kind of just part of it and it's going to be part of it. And I think there's going to be changes going forward. What's so unfortunate though, is that we have the education system completely at loggerheads in this province. I guess it's not a surprise considering where we were just before the pandemic with teachers strikes and work to rule and all the rest, but now it just seems to have been just so much worse with school boards asking asking the minister quit making it up on the fly at the microphone. That's not the teachers unions asking that. That's actually the school boards that are saying you know, a little more clarity, a little more consultation would go a long, long way. You know what I like to do? I, I like to watch press conferences. I like to watch. I like to watch. I like to Jerry Falwell Jr. those press conferences is what I like to do. I hope you've had a good time this hour. Lord knows I have. Join me tonight on Global News on the TV. Global News at 5.30 and 6. We simulcast that TV show right here on the radio. It's called TV on the Radio. Let's give this a shot. TV on the Radio, also a nice indie band, too, for all you hipsters out there. Let's give it a shot, folks. That is the podcast for today. Don't forget to catch the Alan Carter Show weekdays starting at noon.